0: Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. I want to throw an idea out to you. Have you ever thought about a a Christian who is not living a Christian life? That is, it sounds like an oxymoron, and I guess in one sense it is, but it is is a true reality uh, for many people, and I'm pretty sure that you know somebody that is like that. Maybe you're like that, I, I hope not. You have been regenerated by the power of the gospel, Yet, but yet you're not living for Christ? How are we supposed to think about that person? That person is in a trap. How do you help that person to escape that trap? We have a lesson here that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, He talks about the Israelites who did that very thing. These Israelites were saved by the power of the gospel, but yet they grew in in an entitlement mindset. They got tired of what God was offering, basically, and they wanted something else, and, and they started grumbling and and, and the God was not pleased with them, and there were consequences for what they went through. And that is what happens if, if you name the name of Christ, but yet you are not living for Christ. You may have your ticket punched to heaven. You may legitimately be saved by grace, but there, there are consequences for your sin. And Paul is warning us to learn the lesson of the Israelites and so I want to share that with you in today's podcast. If it is you, I, I pray the Lord will do a great work in your heart, and he will change your mind, change you from the inside out, and you will truly, authentically want to live for Christ. Not just in in name, truly you've been regenerated, but also in practice. If you know someone who is like this, I pray that this podcast and the article on our website will benefit you as you minister to them. The title of this podcast is The Trap and the Escape of the Christian Idolater." There is a problem for the Christian who believes that he can live any way that he wants to live because God has saved him. I think sometimes we we just automatically categorize these people as not being saved, but I don't think that's true. I don't think we can say that in an absolute sense. I think there are people that are truly regenerated by the power of the gospel, and for whatever reason, and there could be many, but they're no longer walking with the Lord, that is a problem, and it's something that we want to think about. And again, Paul gives us this historical narrative that I'll share with you in just a moment in First Corinthians 10 as he walks through a living illustration of that with the Israelites. And so this individual is free from the penalty of sin because he has been born again, but he is not free from the consequences of sin or more explicitly, he's not free from the consequences of idolatry. And so what we have is a Christian idolater, and it's the reason I titled the podcast The Trap and the Escape of the Christian Idolater. And I'm going to say, for the sake of argument, that the person is legitimately born again. And if you are born again, but yet you're not walking with the Lord, there will be consequences for this idolatry. Grace does not give us the freedom to live a self-indulgent and idolatrous life. Some people, I call this the grace mistake. And a lot of times, these people come from fundamentalist or legalistic backgrounds. Both of those things are the same, by the way. They come from a legalistic background, and and as they react to their fundamentalism, and they overreact and they overstep the bounds of grace, and they presume on God's grace, and they live any way that they want to live. And so, the big question in this podcast is: How can a person like this change? And that's where Paul gives us help to think about it. If you have time at some future moment, maybe, because you're driving now or doing whatever it is that you're doing, it would be great for you to to take First Corinthians 10 and just read through these 14 verses. I'm going to share them with you because most of the people who hear these podcasts don't have Bibles before them, and that's fine. That's great because I know that you're doing other things. And so I'm going to share these 14 verses with you, but first... I want, to, I want to reestablish and remind ourselves of, of what it truly means to be born again. And so I want to start this talk with the gospel. And it sounds like this. Because we all have failed to be what God wants us to be, we stand under his judgment That is the human condition. That is where everybody is, with no exceptions. We have failed. We are Adamic. We are totally depraved. We are incapable of changing our situation and escaping punishment. It is not possible. We are deeply flawed and broken. The human condition, and I know this doesn't sound good to most people, but the human condition is pathetic because of sin. Even the good things we do, these things happen from selfish motives. And though people may look at the good things that we do, and they may perceive our actions as good as Isaiah said, the Lord doesn't accept them as an answer for the human condition. Even our good deeds are like filthy garments, per Isaiah. According to the Bible, we're stuck. We are deeply flawed. And because of our profound brokenness, the Bible demands that we pay for our attitudes, for our words, for our actions. And this demand creates an unsolvable problem for the human perspective. It's a conundrum. It's a puzzle. The corrupted, the finite cannot satisfy the infinite holy God. But the Bible offers hope through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is at the heart of the gospel. The gospel has always been in eternity past. The gospel will always be in eternity future. But but the epicenter of the gospel is the, the life of Jesus Christ, his death, his, his resurrection, his ascension. The Father punished his one and only Son for our sins. We have the privilege of trusting the works of Christ rather than our pitiful offering if we do trust him. The Lord will save us from ourselves. He will save us from the penalty and the future punishment that all believers will receive. This truth that I'm sharing here is is what it means to be saved by grace. The Savior accomplished everything we need to be right with God. This excellent news for the incapable, that's you, that's me is that we only have to trust the capable that is Christ. If the incapable, you and me, trust the capable, Jesus Christ, then we are born again. We rely on this truth. Here's the truth. This is what we rely on, my salvation, Your salvation, assuming that you are saved, is 100% in and on the person and work of Christ who is the gospel. Now, if that is the case for you, you are not only born again, but you will be able to enjoy and serve God throughout eternity. Because salvation does not remove the sin problem, and this is where we get stuck in our lives. This was, uh, this was my first, one of my first disappointments with God. That's how I frame it. I thought when I became a Christian that there would be no more sin in my life, in my world, in my experience. Salvation, as I have presented it to you, it doesn't remove the sin problem in our lives and in our world. Even though we can be 100% born again, as I have outlined here, we can drift from the truths of the gospel. This result is what Christians call idolatry. It's why I titled the podcast, The Trap and the Escape of the Christian Idolater." It is our problem. It is the believer's problem with sin. although salvation and sanctification are 100% about the grace of God, doggone, we can still grow in an entitlement mindset after salvation, and that is a distortion of grace. No matter how we got there, we can get there in our salvation experience where we forget where we were, incapable, broken, pitiful, and what God did for us, and we can begin to grow in an entitlement mindset. We might think something along these lines. I deserve better than what I am receiving, and if you start thinking like that, guess what? It's going to grow. It's going to grow into something like this, quote, I'm not happy with my circumstances, and i'm i'm going to change them i'll do what i need to do to improve my condition even if i sin besides god will forgive me well yes God will forgive you for all your sins. I'm not going to take back what it means to be saved. Yes, God will forgive you of all your sins because he is a gracious God, even if you intentionally sin, presuming upon his grace. This truth is one of the many benefits and privileges of being a Christian, forgiveness of sin. But here's the thing. If you sin... There are still consequences for your sin, and God will not always remove the effects of your self-centered thinking and living. Let me give you a wild illustration. If you, you are a believer and you go out and get drunk and you total your car and your leg is amputated because of the accident, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're going to heaven, but you will limp all the way to heaven. God may forgive you, will forgive you of your sin, rather, but there will be consequences of your sin. You cannot presume upon his grace. The consequences of selfishness can disqualify you from certain things. You, you could read blessings into that. The consequences of selfishness can disqualify you from certain blessings, even though you are a believer and you're going to heaven. The issue here is not whether God saved you. That's not on the table. That card is never on the table if you are legitimately born again. The issue here is whether you will enjoy the full benefits package that the Lord holds out to any Christian who will trust him regarding his salvation and his sanctification Getting saved and trusting the Lord is not the end of the process. We continue to trust him in our sanctification as well. This problem with idolatry's temptation is why the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is so relevant to us today. We can learn from those who have gone before us, and we can apply the grace that we need to keep from those traps. And so I want to share with you these 14 verses. They are so interesting, and they are so applicable. As Paul gives us an historical accounting of what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number one, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Every one of them, all. They all passed through the sea. Number three, they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Number four, they all ate the same spiritual food. Number five, they all drank the same spiritual drink. Five times Paul uses the word all to talk about the comprehensive nature of God's salvation of all of them, For they drank from the spiritual rock, this is what they drank from, the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ, all of them. But notice what he says in verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. God was not pleased with those whom he had saved for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, Paul says, that we might not desire evil as they did, and that's why I'm giving you and me the warning in this podcast. You can be saved by the grace of God, but you can be lured in by idolatry and grow in an entitlement mindset, and your mind moves from that fixed point who is Christ, the rock whom we follow. The rock is Christ, and we can begin to uh, worship other things, have other passions. Paul said in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 10, do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, quote, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, end quote. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, Paul says this again, now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction to whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, Dear Christian brother, dear Christian sister, don't think that this won't happen to you. And that's why Paul said in verse 13, this famous text, past verse that you know so well, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. It's common to all these Israelites. It's common to you. It's common to me. No temptation has taken you. That is not common to man God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it and then Paul finishes first Corinthians 10 1 through 14 with this verse first verse 14 a short sentence he says therefore my beloved flee from idolatry God saved Israel by grace the main point that Paul says five times is all they were always aware of God's saving power and sustaining hand. They all experienced God's provision in the wilderness. They all were baptized in Moses, meaning they all identified with the salvation that they saw, that they learned, that they experienced through Moses. They What they experienced was, you could say, the real presence of Christ, Though they predated the historical Christ on earth, they experienced God's presence, his power, his provision in the gospel of Christ. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament was very much the same. Notice how the Bible tells one story, the gospel story, as seen in Christ But Paul went on to say, even though they all experienced this salvation, as they they followed the rock, as, as Paul said, that spiritual rock that they drank from, that rock was Christ, Paul said, with most of them, God was not pleased with them presuming upon his grace. So what did he do? He struck them down. In the wilderness, this is what I was saying earlier, you, you can't say that I am born again, that I have experienced the grace of Christ in regeneration and I can live any way that I want to live. They became presumptuous, complacent, grumbling, dissatisfied with God's methods. So God allowed them to experience the consequences of their sin. This tragedy Paul is teaching is what happened in the past, but the warning is to us. Because it can happen to us now, and so God is mercifully instructing us through Paul not to set our hearts on evil, as the Israelites did. This appeal begs the question, for you, for me, where are we going to set our hearts? Are we going to set our hearts on Christ, the rock, and we follow or are we going to set our hearts on something else? What is the animating center that is going to drive us? Our, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our actions. They set their hearts on the things that pleased them. They were acting like the spoiled children of a wealthy man. They grew into an entitlement mindset, which was presumption, taking for granted God's goodness and mercy. Paul called their sin idolatry. This is his word, not not mine. It's the right word. And he's telling us not to be idolaters with these things that do not go according to God's plans. And we can do that. When we, don't, when, when we don't get our plans, when our thoughts aren't uh, what we want them to be, our hopes, our dreams, our expectations are not how we had uh, planned for them to be, we, we can begin to drift from God. And when you do that, through that kind of disappointment, what you will do is you will erect idols, and those idols will be reflective of your hearts. That's what the Israelites did. You set up idols externally, a life. You build a life around you. The things that you do, the context in which you participate, the friends with whom you associate, you build a life around you, but the the life that we build around us is merely reflective of what is going on inside of us. Who you are on the inside and what you do on the outside are consistently the same, and there will always be a stronger passion and a weaker passion or master. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, one of those will win out. And so whatever the stronger passion is on the inside, that stronger passion will be how you build your life on the outside. What did the Israelites reflect before God and others? Well, there was one thing, there's a key in this text, there's, there's several keys, but there's one key that really jumps out at you. If you want to get an idea of what was going on inside the Israelites' heart, what their driving passion is, listen to what they say. Paul said they were grumbling. They grumbled and complained. That's what came out on the outside grumbling and complaining and that's what revealed what was going on the inside. Their reaction to what was happening in their life, it was a clue to their animating center, their true passion, the stronger master that they were serving. If you want to know what a person's animating center is, listen to them. These Israelites were spreading their idolatrous thinking to others through grumbling and complaining, and they began to contaminate others, and it motivated God to judge them. He had no choice but to judge his saved children. Listen to that sentence. God judged his saved children. Even though God saves people by grace, these people specifically, the children of Israel, were testing him rather than trusting him. You don't wanna test God this way by, by having an entitlement mindset that is identified by grumbling, which reveals what is going on inside of you. You will test God, not trust him, and you will experience the consequences of a lack of trust These things happen as an example for our instruction so that you and me, so that we will learn the lesson just because you experienced God's grace initially in the past. And though it was profound, it does not mean that it will always be the same. The application of grace has to be a daily occurrence And if it is, when the test comes, there will be a way out of that temptation because God provides a means of escape. You can trust God in the times of testing if you are a daily appropriating his grace in your life. This idea of idolatry, which is what Paul has been talking about, Throughout this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, Tim Keller gave an excellent definition of idolatry. I'll just share it with you here. It is very clear and outstanding. He said, when you look to some created thing to give you what only God can give, that is idolatry. An idol is anything in your life that is so central to your life that you can't have a meaningful life if you lose it tim keller talking about idolatry the solution with the problem of idolatry is that you have to idolatry is the external thing and and what happens with idolatry is people have this external problem in their life and they will exercise self-control over this idolatrous behavior idolatrous words whatever it may be idolatrous lifestyle You don't solve idolatry that way. You remember what I said earlier, that the idolatry is fed from within? And so you don't address idolatry primarily by self-control, because the idolatry is being fueled internally. The primary issue is not the idol that you see and that you experience, but is the fuel. It is the idolatrous passions that is fueling the idolatry from within, self-restraint only works when the Lord is your animating center. If you want to address the idolatry in your life, then you have to change your animating center. It, It begs a question, actually. Do you know what your deepest passions are? See, most people have a legalistic understanding of idolatry, and so they address it primarily and only by cutting away, by amputating, cutting off the idol, whatever's in their life, but they don't realize that they have this animating center, this evil passion within them, these desires that they are not perceiving that's fueling the idolatry. Do you know what your deepest passions are? Do you know what your deepest passions should be? Let me give you a hint. Your deepest passion should be the gospel. Whatever your deepest passions are, they will run your life. That is true. If your deepest passions are not the gospel, your deepest passions will ruin your life. There is only one right answer as to what your most profound passions should be, and that is the gospel. Exhibiting self-control or willpower as you try to extinguish the things in your external life, that's not how you to respond to situations. You have to respond to this problem of idolatry. You have to respond by crushing the animating center. Your heart, my heart, is always looking for one supreme object to rule us. What rules you? Keller's implication of idolatry is like this. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Are you experiencing the expulsive power of the gospel that will blow out that old affection, that hidden secret passion? To experience release from the bondage of sin, you must have a unique, a supreme, and expulsive affection that takes over you. I want to dig just a little bit deeper before I I finished this podcast, there is a critical attitude within the Israelites. I've already mentioned it that really does reveal the heart of idolatry. and And I want you to to think about this because you, you fall prone to this as I do and that's why I want to highlight this this one particular attitude that that will give you a clue to an idolatrous heart that what is that? Added to, it's grumbling, it's, it's complaining. If you hear a person that, it, and I'm, I'm not talking about just a, a particular moment of complaining, a moment of, of complaining, but a person who, who is characterized as a complaining person. If you're hearing that, a grumbling person, as these Israelites were, it means that they have misplaced their passions and they need to be dispossessed with the expulsive power of the gospel. A person like this indicates a lack of trust, believing God in moments of temptation. Whenever you're not trusting, you are idolatrous. idolatrous, and there is a dissatisfied craving in your soul that you're trying to satisfy your way. Idolatry, that kind of idolatry will always lead to unsavory consequences, what if you took some time to examine the outward effect, like say grumbling or complaining, of your inward passions? When you are selfish or self-centered regarding a relationship, for example. You're in a relationship, a marriage or 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 maybe a sibling relationship or a friendship. When you are selfish or self-centered regarding that relationship, how have the consequences of your selfishness hindered that relationship? I don't want you to move too briskly here. I would love for you to spend time thinking about this. In fact, you can pull up this article. I would love for you to do that. The trap and the escape of the Christian idolater. I want you to think about your most precious or valued relationships and, and reflect upon how selfish and self-centered behaving in the relationship how the consequences of that has hindered the relationship. Question number two, what do you believe that relationship could be if you were relating to this person like Christ or Paul or how any other mature Christian would interact with such a person? There are more things to... To say here I've got some more to this article here and I would love for you to read it if you have time I would love for you to meditate upon the Israelites as Paul laid it out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 but we're all tempted to, idol- to be idolaters as Christians and I want you to experience the hope that's found in the gospel if you are trapped in this kind of circumstance if you'd like to talk about this please jump on our website and let us know Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. rickthomas.net.